0: The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now.
1: Hi, everybody. I hope everybody's having a uh, great weekend, although I'm sure if you're uh, living in Florida or anywhere close to Florida... It's a time of, uh, significant distress. We'll talk about Florida and we'll talk about the, uh, the whole hurricane situation. Uh, I'm actually, this is pretty exciting. I'm, uh, b- broadcasting this, uh, I think this is the first. I'm, I'm gonna guess this is the first time in the Blazers history that, uh, we are broadcasting a live show from Baku, Azerbaijan. You know, I didn't know where that was. Uh, you know I had to look it up on a map I, I encourage you guys to look it up on a map it's a pretty significant kind of geographic location but I am uh, I'm traveling uh, this month I'll be I'll be out of the United States for much of September and as a consequence I'll be doing these shows from a variety of different places next week it's going to be Geneva in Switzerland and uh, we are testing out the the kind of the the, the equipment we have the to see if uh, if we can do this from pretty much anywhere in the world, but and so far so good. So here I am from uh, Baku, Azerbaijan, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I've been on the road for a week. I got on a plane right after the Blaze show last week, last Sunday. Uh, got on a plane to London and uh, give a give a talk in um, in London, and then uh, immediately after that, flew over to uh, Tbilisi, Georgia. Another one of those places that it's worth looking up on the map. I'll describe in a minute where these places are, and in uh, their geopolitical significance. I think I think they're interesting places. And uh, from Tbilisi, yesterday uh, took a one-hour flight, relatively close to Baku, uh, Azerbaijan, and from here I go to Paris, and then Geneva, and then Copenhagen, and then uh, Kiev. And then finally, New York. I will be doing the last my uh, my show. Uh, it, the last uh, weekend in September will be from uh, from New York City. All right. So, uh, you know, this is part of my uh, regular kind of speaker tours. I do speaking tours all over the world on a regular basis. I uh, uh, speak primarily at universities, on campuses, and uh, a variety of different other locations. Uh, I spoke at a bank in Tbilisi to to some bankers, and uh, tomorrow I'm speaking here in in Baku at at a university, and uh, primarily students, uh, business leaders, but tomorrow there will probably be some politicians and maybe some ambassadors and some others uh, here in Azerbaijan. Uh, The – bringing kind of the message of freedom, capitalism, liberty, individual rights, to the rest of the world, and and it's interesting, you know, we we live, we, we, all of us, some of us have chosen to live in America. Uh, many of us have been, uh, I guess, blessed to to be born in America, lucky to be born in America, but we live in a in a vast country, a big country, a country with uh, three hundred plus million people, a country that has the mightiest, strongest military force in human history. A country that has borders with two peaceful neighbors, Canada and our North, and in spite of uh, what uh, Trump and, uh, and, and uh, you know, the many, many, many anti-immigration advocates, uh, Mexico in our South is not an enemy of the United States and is not a threat to our freedom and our sovereignty. We live in a rich country. We live in a country with a long tradition, a tradition that's eroding, a tradition that's disappearing, unfortunately. But a long tradition of uh, rule of law, of the protection of property rights. W- w- as a consequence of that, we're an entrepreneurial country in America. We, we, we and we, we, you know, we, we're wealthy. We're a wealthy country. We're a rich country. You know, even poor people in America have air conditioning, they have automobiles, they have cell phones, they have uh, smartphones. Even the poor in America are fairly rich by global standards. And, again, the fact that we are so large and the fact that we are so powerful, and indeed, we are so powerful militarily and economically, that there is no country in the world that poses a threat to the United States. Not really. Not if we take ourselves seriously. Really, is North Korea a threat to the United States? Uh, last weekend, I talked about how I would take out the North Koreans if it came to that. And it's certainly doable. The United States should be able to knock anything North Korea puts into the sky, out of the sky with our... Uh, Missile defense system, we have a sophisticated missile defense system and should be able to take care of anything the North Koreans send at us. But we should be able to annihilate that country if we chose to do so. We have the mightiest military force in human history. We are the richest country, in, in the richest country of size the world has ever seen. Far richer than any country around there. I mean, people talk about China as a threat to the United States. It's a joke. The per capita GDP of t- China is a fraction of that of the United States. We are, as individuals, really, again, eh, you know, with the exception of some oil-rich, tiny little countries that are insignificant on the map, we are, in the United States, the richest country in the world. Now, I, I believe, unfortunately, as I've talked about on the shows and uh, will continue to talk, I believe we are in decline. I believe we are being betrayed by our intellectuals, by our politicians, by our media. I believe that the principles that made us great are in decline, that we're forgetting what they are, and we're abandoning them and ignoring them. But again, we are today. And when you tr- – what well, we are. We're, we're the richest, most powerful nation on the planet. And when you travel the world, you see that. When you travel the world, you, you get a real sense of that. Um, you know, Georgia and Azerbaijan are small countries, maybe the size of Maine the whole country. Uh, Georgia is tiny population-wise, has 3 million people. Azerbaijan has about 10 million people. Georgia is, is uh, both Azerbaijan and Georgia were part of the Soviet Union, literally the Soviet Union, not just satellite countries like Eastern uh, East Germany or Poland, but they were countries, if you will, or, or, or you know, the Soviet Union was a pretend federation, pretend, I say, Federation of countries, and they were, they were part of the Soviet Union. They, they were ruled by communists. Not from World War II, like Eastern Europe, but from World War I, from, from the Soviet Revolution, uh, from 1918, 1919. Uh, I think both countries ultimately were taken over by the Soviets in 1920. Once, once the communists, um, established their control over Russia, they turned to uh, these countries and, and others uh, in, in Asia. Uh, these two countries are still in Europe, considered Europe. They're re- literally on the border between Europe and Asia, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Uh, they are the connecting tissue between Europe and Asia. They are what separate Russia and Persia or Iran, but Russia and Iran and Turkey, the three kind of powers in this part of the world. All much bigger, much, much more powerful than either Georgia or Azerbaijan, uh, these are countries that became were forced to become forced to become communists in one thousand nine hundred and twenty lived under communism for seventy years seventy one technically until one thousand nine hundred and ninety one when they basically kicked out the communists and, and established their independence and established a different a different kind of regime they 've taken a different route since then. And, and each country is different. Uh, uh Georgia is, is Christian. It's, uh, it's primarily a, uh, Orthodox Christianity, very similar to Russian Orthodox, a Greek Orthodox, Georgian Orthodox. Uh, but it, well, quite a secular country. Uh, you, people are Christian, but, but very secular. Azerbaijan, interesting enough, is Muslim. Uh, 80 plus percent of the population is Muslim and yet very secular strikingly secular. I mean, you walk around in the streets here, uh, girls are wearing clothes that in Saudi Arabia would have them in jail. Mini skirts, uh, strapless dresses, uh, you know, very small straps on on, uh, on, uh, uh, shirts, uh, trousers. Uh, You could be in any place in the world, uh, in the Western world, looking at the way people are dressed here. Uh, So there's, uh, you know, completely secular. It's interesting. So very few mosques, driving around Baku, very few mosques. Uh, so here is here's an example. I think, uh, you know, another example, Albania, which was a country that I visited uh, a few months ago, was another Muslim country that's fairly secular. But Azerbaijan is a secular country, uh, but majority Muslim. And um, for those of you who believe that cannot exist, and I know there are people out there who believe Islam, Muslims, they're, they're incapable of becoming secular. Well, here's more proof that that is just not the case. Uh, so Georgia, uh, uh, Georgia is one uh, kind of a Christian country that was under the Soviet Union and has and, and managed to free itself from that. Uh, Azerbaijan, another. And, uh, we're gonna, uh, after the break, we're gonna talk more about these two countries, the similarities, the differences, why they're important geopolitically, and the kind of challenges they face. Tiny little countries, in a neighborhood of very big, formerly empires, very big, powerful, relatively powerful countries, in the middle of an ideological war, com- you know, communists, well, not communists anymore, but, but authoritarians, Putin, Russian authoritarianism to the north, Iranian, Islamism, Shiite Islamism, Shiite Islamism in the South. Turkey, with its Sunni Islamism, growing Islamism, less militant, but still Islamism. The, the the idea of Sharia law to the West. Interesting. Interesting. It's an interesting part of the world. It's fascinating. It gives you perspective on the kind of problems we claim to have in the U.S. Relatively speaking, people appear relatively poor. Now, they're not poor, poor, but uh, relative to, 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 to how we live in the United States, they are. All right. You're listening to the Iran Brooks Show. Uh, we're on the Blaze Radio Network, and we're going to be back right after this break.
0: Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, Ph.D. in finance. This is the Iran Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
2: On this edition of Courageous Capitalists, we take a look back at the extraordinary life of J.P. Morgan. This edition is brought to you by our friends at DentalPlans.com. During the late 1800s and early 1900s, J.P. Morgan was a renowned business mind who was involved with as many as 42 major corporations. His process of taking over troubled businesses to reorganize them became known as Morganization Morgan reorganized business structures and management in order to return them to profitability. His reputation as a banker and financier also helped bring interest from investors to the businesses that he took over. What was the effect of Morgan's expertise on American society? In a word, outstanding. Through his talent in growing businesses, J.P. Morgan also provided financial support to organizations like the American Museum of Natural History, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Harvard University, and many other organizations. In fact, he even helped bail out the federal government in 1907. J.P. Morgan played a part in improving the lives of individuals across the income spectrum. He brought economic growth and, in harder times, stability. Today, we are all reaping the benefits of Morgan's heroic efforts that have brought about a higher quality of life. In celebration of his intellect and ambition, we celebrate J.P. Morgan as a courageous capitalist. This edition of Courageous Capitalists has been brought to you by our friends at DentalPlans.com. Did you know that you can save between 10 and 60% on most dental procedures? At over 100,000 dentists nationwide, there are no coverage limits, caps, or waiting periods to get the care you need. Visit highroadproducers.com/dental to see for yourself how much you can save. That's highroadproducers.com/dental.
0: Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: All right, and today we're doing something uh, never been done, never been tried before on the Blaze, and that is broadcasting from the other side of the planet. We are here from uh, Baku, Azerbaijan, uh, and uh, uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to do the show while I travel, while I uh, try to bring uh, the principles of. Uh, Teach the principles of liberty of freedom, the principles of the founding fathers of America all over the world to uh, students uh, all over all over the planet so uh, as I was describing uh, Georgia and Azerbaijan sit just north of Pers- uh, just north of Iran and uh, south of uh, of Russia uh, They were under Soviet occupation they were part of the soviet union they were they were run by communists. Communist commissars uh, from uh, from 1920 until 1991, 92, when they, uh, you know, shrugged off the the communist occupation and uh, established their own independent countries. Uh, let's start with Georgia. Georgia is an interesting case. Georgia's uh, the 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 Christian among the two countries. Georgia is um, is a uh, has been a a, a democracy. Uh, a representational government since uh, since the nineteen nineties, it has uh, struggled economically. But what is amazing about Georgia and what's interesting about Georgia is from from the very beginning or early on in uh, in its independent history, it was uh, the people who rose to power, the people who rose to the top politically, were, were believers in free markets, were admirers of the founding fathers, were admirers of America. And they instituted a lot of very, very positive regu- uh, regulations, or if you will, lack of regulations. They they dismantled the central planning of the state. They dismantled uh, much of the Soviet infrastructure that had been created in uh, Georgia by, by the communists. And they basically allowed the Georgian economy to be free. Uh, labor laws were eliminated, regulations on what you could grow and how much you could charge and, and and all of that w- w- disappeared fairly quickly and as a consequence uh Georgia did quite well and and uh given that it's uh, it's a poor country it's a country that had lived under communism for for you know generations and therefore had been really destroyed destroyed spiritually dispo- destroyed materially uh there was no infrastructure there was no uh, entrepreneurial infrastructure they had no wealth. They they really had uh, uh, nothing, and they have managed to to build a, a legitimate economy and 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 to to grow in their own personal wealth and and to to have a entrepreneurial an entrepreneurial you know now uh, I would call a tradition, but entrepreneurial uh, energy around the around the place. It's still uh, relatively poor, and it's it still struggles, and it doesn't have any natural resources. It's it's a beautiful country. I, I did a tour of the wine district. They have they have a wine industry. Uh, they have many universities. A well educated uh, population. The universities are relatively unregulated. You don't get the kind of how should I say it nonsense, complete garbage that some universities in the United States teach. Um, uh, you know the kind of leftist. Uh, you know it's hard to believe, but communism fell a long time ago, and yet the same leftist ideas disguised as something different, they still being taught at our universities. Uh, Georgia has healthy universities, they have private universities, the best university in, in Georgia is a private university. And, y- y- you know, people are, people are generally uh, ambitious and positive and, and pushing forward. Now, unfortunately, the generation that came right after communism was a generation that understood free markets and tried to implement free market uh, ideas but whether because of the interference of uh, Russia in the elections and Russia dabbles everywhere, Russia's, Russia agents are everywhere. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. And this is not some conspiracy theory. This is the reality in this part of the world. Russia has been involved in the politics of this part of the world for 200 and something years and they're not going to stop tomorrow. Suddenly Putin is not going to stop tomorrow. He's an authoritarian. I mean, Putin said that probably the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the dismantling of the Soviet Union. Think about that. We're talking about the 20th century, Nazis, World War II, World War I. That was pretty horrific. But no, for Putin, the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the dismantling of the Soviet Union, which means the fact that he lost control over places like Georgia and Azerbaijan and, and other places in Central Asia like Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan. I know places you've probably, again, never heard of. But to Putin, they're really important, and and maybe most importantly, Ukraine, which was uh, part of the Soviet Union, uh, not a not a separate country, but part of the Soviet Union, really from the nineteen, from the nineteen teens or the nineteen twenties. And uh, so, Russian dabbling, or whether it's because you know capitalism doesn't stick, we'll talk about why that is. But capitalism doesn't stick; we, we, we f- it fades away. The intellectuals don't respect freedom, they don't respect liberty, they don't respect economic freedom and economic liberty and as a consequence, it's never really talked at the universities and as a consequence, voters voted out of existence very quickly. Very quickly. So, Georgia has been moving away from free markets, tragedy, 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 a poor country that could have become rich is moving away from free markets. Free markets, by the way, make poor countries rich. That's what makes countries rich. Are free markets, which allow individual entrepreneurship, individual initiative, individual decision making to guide the market. That's, that's what dictates the market. That's what, that's where you get real success. All right. By the way, if you have any, any questions or, or questions and where these places are, or why anybody should care, um, or if you have experience, maybe you've been to Azerbaijan or to Georgia, or maybe maybe your ancestors are from there. There are a lot of Georgian Americans and a lot of Az- Azer uh, Americans, Azerbaijani Americans. Uh, give us a call, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393, if, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, stories, uh, or we just like to participate in the show today. Uh, so... Uh, Georgia is an interesting place, uh, constantly fearing intervention by Russia, constantly fearing intervention by Turkey, a little less concerned about Iran, but Iran is always a presence in this part of the world with its radical Islamism, its fanaticism, uh, and and, and the, always the potential for terrorism. So uh, here's this little country between these three relative giants, afraid. And again, it gives you a little bit of appreciation for how good we have it in the United States of America. How how relatively easy, and how relatively good our life is. All right, you're listening to the Iran Brook Show. This is the Blaze Radio Network, and we're going to be back after this break. Iran Brook on
3: the
0: Blaze Radio Network.
1: podcasting today live from Baku Azerbaijan and uh, you can call in if you have uh, any comments suggestions uh, uh, questions uh 88890033938889003393 and uh, you know it's it's late over here uh, you know in and the East Coast. Uh, what's the time now on the East Coast? Uh, it's what two thirty, something like that. Over here, it's already it's already ten thirty at night. So, um, you know, give me a call. Uh, help me stay awake while uh, while we do this late night show, late night version of the Iran Book Show. All right. Um, so. Uh, as I said, uh, Jojo was, uh, had free markets, uh, free markets at its heart, at its core, and, and really is, 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 succeeded because of that, and has done quite well, uh, because of that, and yet still struggles because, uh, governments move away from those principles. They can't hold on to it to buy votes. They give away goodies. They give away, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, welfare benefits. Uh, they, in order to, I don't know, I guess as politicians, to make money, they become corrupt and and they sell favors. Call those regulations or controls or, or tax favors or tax loo- loopholes. And all of that constitutes the all the favors that politicians grant uh, uh, various businesses and so on. And that all adds up. It adds up to corruption. It adds up to regulations. It adds up to a tax system. Although Georgia taxes are the envy, should be the envy of America, they're phenomenal taxes. 10% flat tax on all income, 0% corporate income tax, which, by the way, is the only rational, from an economic perspective, the only rational corporate tax rate, they should be, zero. Because corporations don't pay taxes, because corporations are not things. Corporations are legal entities. Corporations are owned by people. The people should pay the taxes, not the corporation. And corporations indeed don't pay taxes. Every single research paper that's looked at who pays corporate taxes finds that corporate taxes are paid by consumers because products prices go up and by workers, wages go down. If with a zero corporate tax, wages would go up, prices in the economy would go down. Pretty cool. And yet, I only know of two countries in the world that have a zero corporate tax. Both countries are doing fairly well, given how small and how poor and how surrounded by enemies they are. And that is Georgia. Georgia, not the state, the country. Look it up on a map. Georgia and um, Estonia. There's another one. It's in the Baltic Sea, northernmost. Uh, it, it borders with uh Finland. Finland, a much richer country, a uh, history of, of freedom and, and wealth and industry and building and creation. And yet, estimates are that Estonia is going to be richer than Finland in 10 years because it has such low regulations, such a free market economy, has such a, a, a pro-growth tax plan. Again, 10% flat taxes, Georgia and Estonia, 10% flat taxes on all income, but 0% taxes on corporations. So, and, and I think, I think both countries have zero capital gains as well. That is a tax plan. Republicans, are you listening? You want a real tax plan? You want something that will really get the U.S. economy going? Not just at the 4% rate Donald Trump wants, but maybe even more than that, maybe 5%. Well, 0% corporate taxes will help. Prices would go down. Income of workers would go up. Everybody benefits. Everybody wins except the government bureaucrats. Isn't that a good, good? That's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you'd have to cut spending at the same time, but that's what you have to do anyway. Uh, so, uh, Georgia still has a great tax environment. Uh, they have it in the constitution that the only way to raise taxes is through a referendum, a referendum to raise taxes. Now, I think the constitution should say you cannot raise taxes. Period maybe with the exception of time of war, but never raise taxes. That'd be good. I don't think government needs more than 10% of my income. I don't think government needs corporate taxes. I think with 10% of my income, you could fund the federal government, the state government, the local government, and get rid of all, not just waste and corruption, which there's a lot of, but also all the things that government does that it shouldn't do. The are millions, not millions, I'm exaggerating, maybe thousands of things that the government does today that it shouldn't do. So I gave four talks in uh, in Georgia, three at universities, great attendance, great students, great questions. You had a good time, and, and, and it, it was a lot of fun. And then I gave one talk at a bank, uh, at the Bank of Georgia, uh, where I spoke to executives at the bank, and I, I spoke to them about a topic that that I'll be speaking to you about in a couple of weeks uh, here on The Blaze, which is uh, the topic of... Um, the moral case for finance. Why that is consistent with wealth creation. Why, why, why finance is a good thing. Why bankers are a good thing. And, uh, I've also got a book coming out by this, on the topic at the end of September. So you'll hear more about that, uh, as, as we move here into, uh, into deeper into September, the month. Uh, uh, so now I'm Baku in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is different than Georgia and partially because it is a Muslim country uh and uh, so the population here is 80% muslim it's, it does not have a tradition of free markets the way georgia has what it has and what allows it to be you know relatively wealthy and certainly i think wealthier than georgia and and the, the amount of development going on here in baku is astounding the, the number of modern buildings and beautiful architecture is astounding but not so much because of um free markets but more because of um the fact that they have oil and gas. Uh, they have oil and gas reserves. This is why the Russians want Azerbaijan, why the Russians have always wanted uh, Azerbaijan, why they, they came here in the 1920s. I didn't know this, but it's interesting. The first oil ever discovered, really, before the discoveries of oil in Pennsylvania, I don't know if you know, but the first oil wasn't discovered in Texas. It was in America. It was discovered in Pennsylvania and in you know Rockefeller was really based in Pennsylvania. That that that's where he built his refineries. That's where much of uh, of his legacy was. It was on the East Coast where there was oil. There was oil in Pennsylvania. Well, before that, about ten years before that, oil was discovered here in Azerbaijan, in, uh, in outside of Baku, uh, vast oil fields. Uh, first oil really discovered for the purpose of creating kerosene and and for the purpose of uh, human activity rather than, you know, oil had been discovered way before that. We all knew oil, you know, human beings knew oil existed, but it was like this black guck that nobody wanted, right? That you didn't know, it, it didn't have anything to do with it. It's only technology and science and innovation that figured out we can actually take this black gunk, whatever the junk it was, the, the, the pollutant, and actually make stuff, ultimately plastic. Almost everything you have around your room, if you look around you, is, uh, including, you know, parts of your computer, is made from plastics, is made from oil, is made from some, some component from oil. So uh, Azerbaijan is different. It, it it has oil and it, it is ruled by uh, a family, a, an authoritarian family. The challenges Azerbaijan has also faced are more substantial, both because it has this oil and therefore is much more valuable to Russia and has seen massive Russian intervention it also has a threat to the a territorial threat from Armenians. And of course, the, the Iranians, Iranians, uh, where 25 million Azerbaijanis live, uh, would love to take over Azerbaijan and its oil fields and its population. They would love to turn it into a uh, radical or, or Islamist uh, uh, satellite uh, of Iran. And, and indeed, they've been exporting terrorism and, and the ideology into Azerbaijan. And, and quite amazing that Azerbaijan has managed, uh, have managed to resist. All right, um, you, you're listening. We're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to the Iran Brook Show. We're on the Blaze Radio Network, broadcasting from Baku, Azerbaijan today. And we'll be back right after this break.
0: Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: is
1: the Iran Brook show All right we're talking about uh, my visit here to Georgia and, uh in Azerbaijan and uh, you know Azerbaijan it's it's a it's a Muslim country you know 80% of the population is muslim but yet secular uh, quite stunned uh, by the architecture by the you know the, the, the country was um, created before it was taken over by the soviets by uh, People who wanted this country to be a Western country, uh, they wanted to build Paris in, on the, on the bridge between Asia and Europe, right near the Caspian Sea. By the way, the Caspian Sea is gorgeous. The, the beaches here are just, just amazing. I've got, am in a hotel right on the beach. It's just, Wow, I mean, it's just beautiful. So, and the weather's hot and everything. Unfortunately, it didn't bring a bathing suit, but uh, you know, beaches here are beautiful, and uh, uh, I, I'm gonna have to come back and uh, and try swimming, uh, try swimming in the Caspian Sea. I, I have to admit, I've never thought I would actually see the Caspian Sea. I think it's the largest. I think I think this is true. I think it's the largest, uh, in a sense, lake. It's it's completely surrounded by land. It it, it is not connected. It's not connected to an ocean so it basically technically is a lake but it's the largest in the world and uh it, it it's pretty beautiful here so uh muslim country very secular for those who you think that I- islam or or muslims are incompatible is incompatible with secularity with secularism it's just not true here's an example um and uh, and yet forces apply to it iran which i think is the number 1 enemy of the united states in the world today Iran is constantly trying to radicalize the Shia. Shia is one branch of Islam. Shia and Sunni is the other. Uh, continuously trying to radicalize the Shia population, uh, which is most of the Muslims here in uh, Azerbaijan. Uh, you know, and the, and the authorities here who are authoritarian. Uh, they are not uh, liberal democracies. They, 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 there's no, uh, you know, there's an authoritarian, there's a family who rules here. Very much like China, I think, in, in many regards, you can say pretty much anything as long as you don't criticize them. Um, the state-owned enterprises, uh, too many. And I'm giving here a talk. I'm giving a talk here tomorrow about freedom, and particularly economic freedom, and, and the value of economic freedom, and the importance of economic freedom. And that means what I'm going to talk about is the role of government, and shrinking the role of government, shrinking the role of government to basically... Uh, protect protection right and, and leaving the economy free and uh, r- eliminating regulations and uh, eliminating taxes maybe they should copy the taxation tax system from their Georgian neighbors it's it's an excellent tax system and uh, you know I think this place could boom I mean I just look at, at, at what they've already built you know granted because of the oil money um, but not the kind of all money, and not the kind of situation you get in the Gulf, in Kuwait, and Qatar, and in, in or in um, or in um, uh, you know United Arab Emirates, or even Saudi Arabia. You know that kind of money and and uh, relatively smaller populations, at least relative to the amount of money coming in. Uh, you know they've done a lot here, and it's 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 um, it's impressive. And, and except for the. Those sectors of the economy that are controlled by the state. There are many sectors that are left free. Property rights are respected. The land has been privatized. Much of the land has been privatized, and uh, so there's a lot. Uh, Azerbaijan, is there's a lot going for it. I'm going to try to encourage it to go all the way. You know, to, to to be a true free market. To get rich, not based on resources. Because it, I don't know if how familiar you are with this idea of re, the resource curse. Venezuela certainly is familiar with the resource curse. If you build an economy on one resource and you rely on it and you don't produce anything other than that resource, typically that resource will make you poor, not rich. You'll be rich in the short run. Uh, the f- most famous example of this is Spain during col- its colonial period that it, it, it captured South America. It had all the gold, the, you know, massive quantities of gold shipped to Spain. But because Spain itself didn't produce anything, didn't create anything, all that gold landed up moving from Spain into England and France and other places where stuff was really being produced. And Spain, at the end of the day, was left poor. And uh, over time, Saudi Arabia and many of these all uh, rich countries will remain poor unless they produce and create and build real things. And for that, they need freedom. For that, they need freedom. They don't want to hear that. But for that, they need economic freedom. And and economic freedom almost always leads to uh, political freedom, to to, to the largest extent of political freedom. Uh, I tell all these countries, you, 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 what you need to do is become rich. And the way to become rich is be a Hong Kong. You know, not Dubai, Hong Kong. Hong Kong is the model for being rich. And Hong Kong's model for being rich is, or the American model for being rich is, protection of property rights, government that protects you from crooks and criminals, and basically otherwise leaves you alone. Not a government that regulates and controls and taxes and intervenes and, and, and gets involved in every aspect of your life. That is the road to poverty. So uh, interesting place. Um, and uh, again, it gives you perspective. Uh, they, they they have these monster risks. They have these, the, you know, particularly I think Azerbaijan, because of the oil, uh, everybody wants it. Everybody's fighting over it. Um, they have really no allies it's interesting azerbaijan 80% muslim secular best friends with israel really really close to israel of all countries right so israelis israelis have uh, vast economic ties military ties cultural ties with azerbaijan um, you know just a, a fascinating story fascinating place yeah hope hope you guys have a chance one day to visit these are, these are beautiful places worth seeing it's worth we're traveling around the world. We're seeing the world. All of it, uh, or m- much of it. All right. Listening to the Iran Brooks Show. After the break, we'll talk more about Hurricane Irma. You're listening to the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: You're listening to the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Now, a moment to recognize an organization that is building the road to a free society. Founded in 1985, the Ayn Rand Institute's educational programs promote the principles of reason, rational self-interest, individualism, and laissez-faire capitalism. Since 2002, the Ayn Rand Institute has distributed almost three million copies of Ayn Rand's novels, including Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead, and Anthem. To over 60,000 teachers as part of their free books to teachers program. Additionally, the Ayn Rand Institute operates one of the largest essay contests in the world, offering high school and college students the opportunity to earn scholarships while advocating for free markets and individual rights. To learn more about the Ayn Rand Institute and how you can support this heroic mission, visit AynRand.org now. That's A Y N R A N D.org.
0: Ocean House is the perfect place to come relax and take time to recharge. The staff was friendly and very accommodating. I loved this place and highly recommend if you're looking to unplug and take time off from life's busyness. Thanks, Terry. Terry is one of hundreds of highly satisfied reviews we've received from Ocean House guests. In fact, Ocean House is one of the top-rated hotels in the Keys, according to TripAdvisor.com. Looking for a private place to celebrate an anniversary? Or maybe you are looking for a luxurious romantic getaway with your partner – then you need to treat yourself to a private island oasis at Ocean House. And call 888-981-1980 to receive one night free when you book a one-night stay at Ocean House. So go ahead, make plans now to stay with us at Ocean House by visiting OceanHouseFloridaKeys.com or call us toll-free at 888-981-9180 to get a free extra night when you book one night with us. We look forward to seeing you at Ocean House soon. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now.
1: All right. Thanks for joining me for hour number two as I broadcast from uh, Baku, Azerbaijan. And uh, this is great, great that... uh, that the blaze makes it possible for uh, for for as I travel around the world, as I go to different places, uh, you will get to hear my experiences in all these different places. All right, uh, I want to talk about Uma, uh, the hurricane uh, that is, as we speak, I think, start, uh, pounding uh, Florida, and uh, you know, creating immense uh, damage over there. And and I think that unfortunately, the worst is yet to come as as the storm heads north and uh, and hits the Tampa. Tampa's at Petersburg area and, uh, and, you know, who knows where it goes from there exactly and, and what kind of damage it causes. It, it seems like the, the most, uh, dangerous part of this is the, uh, is the surge, is the water surge as, water levels rise. It's, it's interesting, uh, when you read about Florida and, and how, uh, how low Florida is and how few high points there are, that it doesn't take much sea rise to cover a, a vast, amount of, of Florida's land so uh, hopefully it doesn't happen hopefully the hurricane weakens hopefully you know by the time you're listening to this show on a podcast or something things turned out to be a lot less dangerous than what everybody is assessing them to be right now uh, I, I think the fact that it didn't go through Miami itself and didn't hit directly onto Miami Beach and uh, didn't hit directly into uh, into downtown Miami is is probably a good thing, and, and uh, is going to result in in a lot less damage. But the Tampa area is very, very vulnerable to an earthquake like Oma because it is so low lying. It is uh, it is very vulnerable to those uh, rising uh, sea levels. Uh, you know, the, the, this uh, this hurricane has has become, in a sense, uh, this hurricane, and of course, uh, the previous hurricane that hit Houston just two weeks ago. Uh, opportunities for kind of two groups to really uh, get all excited, and 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 one is the people claiming, "Oh my God, the world is going to end because of global warming." See, see, we told you so. Look what's happening—all these monster storms—and and a consequence of, of global warming and climate change and all of that. I mean, maybe I doubt it, but there's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of that. Zero. And the the earth has been warming for a while now, and yet, it, for 12 years, we have not been hit by a hurricane of Category 3 strength or stronger. The United States hasn't. So what do you make of that? Uh, you know, I don't know what you make of that. And then two in one year, okay. Maybe there'll be another one. I don't know. But given that we haven't had one in 12 years, you, you'd probably expect some, some heavy concentration. I, by the way, I'm surprised the global warming guys and the climate change guys aren't taking credit for the, uh, for the earthquake, the tragic earthquake in Mexico, the 8.1 massive, massive earthquake. Luckily, off the shore of Mexico, so in the ocean, no big tsunami, which was uh, a relief and not, you know, a lot of people lost their lives, but nowhere near what could have happened if it had happened onshore. But I'm surprised they're not, they're not claiming that's a consequence of climate change. But look, if you don't, if you go through a period of 12 years without a major hurricane, you're going to get some. They're going to happen. Even since 1970, the United States, again, not counting the last Irma and, and Harvey and, and you know the two weeks ago, uh, since 1970, the U.S. has only had four hurricanes of category four or five. So actually, since 1970, we've only had four or five of these. Uh, really strong, uh, four, four hurricanes, sorry, category four or five. But in the previous 50 years, so 47 years, so 1970 to 19, to 2017 is 47 years. In the previous 47 years, we had 14 such hurricanes. So we're in a massive lull. Massive lull, right? During President Obama's period, we had only 0.5 hurricanes per year. That's the lowest any president has seen since 1990. Eight presidents dealt with more than one, than more than two a year, more than two a year, right? Uh, so it, 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 that hasn't happened. It happened to George W. Bush, but it, it it hasn't happened since Lyndon Johnson. So we haven't had that many hurricanes in the last 50 years which is shocking. So would you be surprised if in the next 50 years we had more hurricanes? No, it wouldn't be. But I bet you that every single one of them is going to be blamed on climate change, on warming seas. So, you know, just just take that with a grain of salt. To, you know, don't take seriously any time, every time these people claim these things. You, you've got to look at long-term trends. It's It's not just about... What happens in the moment? It's not just about what happens right now. Uh, y- you can't assess whether hurricanes are getting worse or getting not getting worse based on a couple of years. You have to look at history. You have to look at, 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 you know, a hundred years or so, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. But you can't just assess this uh, just because two big hurricanes hit. Um, But that's what the environmentalists are going to demand from us. That's going to be what they want from us. So uh, resist, 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 resist that temptation. And and you can also say the bigger ones are coming. Uh, You know, bigger ones are coming. Uh, You know, in Florida sticks out there into, into the, you know, the Caribbean and, and uh, it sticks out there towards the Atlantic and it's just, it's just on the path and it's likely to keep getting hit, and people should think about that. Yeah, you should consider that when moving to Florida. And by the way, insurance rates should reflect that. And and that's interesting, right? Because if hurricanes are going to get worse, and if there are going to be more hurricanes, and, and the statistics would say the answer is yes to both of those, and uh, the climate change people would say yes to both of those. So we agree on that. Then insurance rates should be skyrocketing in in Florida, and 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 uh, and they they should keep going up, and you know for for as long as this, as long as we don't have a lot and and this is the problem, the problem is that's what they should be doing, and one of the reasons they're not not anywhere near what kind of the market would dictate, is because of government guarantees, is because the government stands behind the insurance policies, is because the state of Florida is reinsuring in a sense, buying the insurance from the insurance companies. And, you know, it's like the mortgages that the bank sold and then uh, sold to Freddie and Fannie, to the government, in a sense, that got repackaged and then sold to other people, and then on and on and on, they, to a large extent, to some extent, created the financial crisis. Uh, it, it's very similar. When the government is buying your exposure, your liabilities, at a cheap price... It distorts the market. It makes the insurance policies too cheap so that they don't reflect the real risk. And as a consequence, people are given a false signal. If Florida is really, really dangerous, we'll talk about Florida after the coming break and and its history and and to what extent it is dangerous, you're getting a false signal. Markets are beautiful, uh, truly beautiful. And that they really give you, prices give you signals about how, for example, insurance markets give you signals about how dangerous something is. If it's really, really expensive to buy insurance in a particular location, let's say flood insurance on the coast of Florida, that probably means that it's susceptible to floods. So you would think people would think twice about building there, but they don't. Because the insurance, particularly flood insurance, is subsidized or... In some ways, even worse. They think, eh, what the hell? Even if I don't have insurance, government's going to bail me out. FEMA is going to write to the rescue. And indeed, the federal government just approved $15.5 billion to basically write checks to people who didn't insure themselves so they can rebuild. So you're rewarding people's lack of planning. You're rewarding people for building in risky areas. You're rewarding people for doing things that don't make any sense. But that's FEMA, right? That's what happens when you federalize. That's what happens when you give government control over a program that should be left to the private sector, insurance. Insurance would be so high in flood areas, in areas that flood regularly, in areas that are hit regularly by hurricanes, that it would at least provide an incentive for people not to live there. And people who chose, yes, to live there and paid those insurance, they'd be covered. And people who didn't buy insurance and who still lived in places like that shouldn't get any compensation. You know, I've, I have earthquake insurance for California. And if I get b- hit by an earthquake, I don't expect you in the Midwest to bail me out. And yet, most Californians are going to be bailed out by people living in the Midwest, living in the East Coast, Why? It's unjust, it's unfair, it's wrong. It's not not insurance. That is subsidy, that is redistribution of wealth, that is theft. So I would want to see FEMA dismantled, I think. I think our emergency response would improve, and I think we would have a more just system where people in one part of the country are not paying for the for the decisions of people in another part of the country. All right, you're listening to the Ron Brooks Show uh, on the Blaze Radio Network. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about Florida, about, you know, its geography, its susceptibility to hurricanes, and the value of civilization. We'll be right back after this.
0: PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Ron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. This
1: is the Yaron Brook Show. All right. This is Yaron Brook. We're talking about Hurricane uh, Ima, uh, uh, you know, and, and the, the the tragedy, uh, the, the the real tragic consequences. I, I mean, foreseeable tragedy in the sense that hurricanes happen. And, and uh, it's not a tragedy in the sense of a man-made tragedy. It's not a tragedy of in the sense that it's a chosen tragedy. It's a tragedy, and it's just sad. It's sad that uh, people are going to get hurt, uh, that uh, people's lives, some people are going to die expectedly, and, and, and a lot of a lot of property is probably going to be damaged. I thought I thought this was an interesting opportunity to talk about Florida, because I mean really think about Florida. Florida is this amazing achievement. Florida is a, a, a massive achievement of human ingenuity. It's a massive achievement of civilization. Uh, a, a hundred years ago or well, maybe a little bit more but but you know even in the 19th century very few people lived in florida florida was a place that was filled with swamps it was filled with mosquitoes alligators crocodiles you know the environmentalist dream place the place they would love all of us to live in actually they don't want us to live anywhere they don't want us to live i'm talking about the intellectuals right so so it was a, it was a mosquito infested and and this is the only place on the planet that i can that i as far as i know where both alligators and crocodiles live in the same place. I, I didn't know that. I, I, I'm, I'm reading this from an article. Um, in, um, in the 19th century, uh, a, a, a seminar, I guess, an American Indian, uh, war ve- no, a, a war veteran, a war veteran, not, a, not an American Indian, called it, quote, by far the poorest and most miserable region I ever beheld. This place was awful, right? It was not livable particularly South Florida, where, where it was just swamps, swamps. They call them Everglades today, right? All kinds of nice names to, to uh, you know, to see, you'd think a bunch of soft, cuddly animals lived there. But, uh, but no, th- this is harsh, harsh territory. This is not place fit, really, for human life and human civilization. And yet, and yet, the swamps were dried. They were drained. Uh, canals were built, uh, uh, all kinds of, you know, water was pumped, and, and it, it, swamps were drained, and it, it became much safer, even in terms of mosquitoes and crocodiles and alligators for humans to live. Islands were built, literally, islands were built, you know. Uh, and millions of people, millions of people have moved to Florida, and it's beautiful. I mean, you go to Miami, it's beautiful. And what a lifestyle they have. It's, it's hot all year round. It's warm. Warm, sometimes it's hot. It's quite humid, you know, you have to like that. But gorgeous views, amazing development, beautiful development. You know, the wealth is astounding. Florida is, you know, this, one of the, one of the smart states that has zero, uh, state income tax. And as a consequence, encouraged uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, retired people go there. A lot of businesses go there. It's a it's a thriving place. It's a successful place. The, the the beautiful condo buildings all along Miami Beach, all along Miami. The hotels. The it's just an exciting place. It's become people call Miami the capital of Latin America because many people who live in Latin America also own homes. So the, the wealthy who live in Latin America also own homes in Miami. Uh, it's become a hub for, for tourists and, and for people to, to visit and, and, but most of all, for people to do business between Latin America and the United States. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a relatively rich place. Uh, six million people, six million people live on the coast of South Florida from Miami-Dade County up to Palms, Tom, Palm Beach County. Um, and, uh, you know, the west coast of, of Florida, it's some of the dense, one of the dense, Densest populated counties <laughs> in the country and fast growing. You know, uh, uh, Tampa Bay is the fastest growing metro area in the state. And I guess the fourth fastest in the nation. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of this stuff from, uh, from, uh, actually a, a CNN article, a CNN article that's, I'm, I'm spinning this positively. CNN spins all this negatively because they view development. They view civilization. They view fast growing. That's all bad things. Oh my God, there's a state that doesn't charge income tax. That's awful. You know, a a statist CNN. But it's interesting data. It's interesting information. Um, so a lot of people live in Florida. A lot of people live on the coast in Florida. And, and it's beautiful. Tampa is beautiful. You know, the base and Petersburg on one side, Tampa on the other side, the developments. I've, I've, I've hung out with friends over there, gone to restaurants over there, the waterfront and, you know, on the, on the bay in Tampa Bay. It's just gorgeous, and uh, you know it's some of the most it's some of the most beautiful real estate there, and along the west coast and up the east coast of Florida, I, people live a good life over there, and and uh, you know good for them, and it's civilized, it's civilized, it's safe, and you know and yet they are very susceptible to hurricanes, and and this is this is this is the risk they face. And it's a risk I think they should they should recognize, and people who live there hopefully do recognize it. It's a risk that they should pay for in the sense of insurance or in a sense of, of of paying for if there's damage, it's their damage. Unfortunately, it's a risk that we have socialized. Uh so a lot of retirees might be in that area and their property might be damaged, but it's it's taxpayer money from their kids and grandkids who live maybe in another part of the country who that's going to pay to fix a lot of the damage and and that's just not right. That's just not moral. That's just not fair. Um, we need to get back to personal responsibility. Now, look, we all want to help our neighbor, and voluntary help is wonderful. And and you saw a lot of that in in Houston, and it was terrific. And if people want to go down there and help uh, help people in Florida rebuild all the power to you, and if you want to donate to to a charity to, to, to help, to help people rebuild. That's great. And, and a lot of people do that. And, and, and certainly I think that's, uh, that can be an honorable thing to do. You know, if you're not sacrificing, if you're not giving up too much in order to do it. But at the end of the day, you know, people have to think about where they live. People have to consider that and people have to buy insurance and they have to pay a market rate for that insurance that recognizes the full risk of where they're living and what they're doing and to the extent that they suffer damages it's their responsibility you know again granted that we can all help and and many of us can pitch in and and all of that all of that is great um so i mean florida is a triumph it's uh it, it, it's really amazing to me how how successful it's been but we need to recognize the risk and we need a price To price that risk. And it's important for that. And for in order to really price that risk, what we need is to get government out of the way. Isn't that true of so many problems we have in the world today? Just get government out of our way. Very simple slogan. Very simple idea. And yet, so difficult. All right. You're listening to the Iran Book Show. We'll be right back after this break.
0: You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Uh, it is truly sad that uh, this hurricane is going to be used by the environmentalists. Uh, Irma is going to be in particular, I think, is going to be used by environmentalists to advocate for restricting development, for restricting economic growth, for, for for penalizing people who live in Florida, instead of letting market prices let people take the kind of risks that they want to take and are willing to are willing to bear the cost of, which is what a free market would do, which is what if government got out of the uh, disaster relief business would happen if they let insurance actually work. And if, if we stopped, in a sense, if we stopped redistributing wealth towards disaster areas artificially and we let just charity work and we let insurance work and we let personal responsibility work, environmentalists instead are going to use this opportunity to say, see, we have to restrict, we have to restrict building, we have to restrict, uh, uh, you know, what way people can live how they live, instead of letting the market work, instead of letting individuals make decisions for themselves based on cost and benefit to them, we will get top-down decision-making from a bunch of environmentalists who are convinced that the seas are going to rise and we're all going to drown. Now, it's not that they really care about human beings. Environmentalists, as a movement, they don't care about human beings. It's not that they're trying to save lives. I'd have some sympathy, very little, but still some sympathy for them if they were. But that's not their goal. The fundamental goal is to stop development, to stop progress, to stop technology, to stop innovation, to limit human flourishing. That's the fundamental goal of these environmentalists. Don't, don't let them confuse you into thinking that they really care because they don't. When they see, uh, storms like this, they, 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 they relish the opportunity now to lecture us on how people shouldn't be living in Florida and people shouldn't live by the coast and people should, where should they live? Shouldn't live in California because we've got earthquakes. You know, and, 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 uh, and, and we shouldn't live in, let us make those decisions. But, and this is where, you know, we don't do this, let us make those decisions based on a true, cost benefit analysis based truly on an evaluation of the risks this article is in uh, on cnn.com uh you know it's just geared towards this idea that oh we shouldn't be living in these places it's awful what we've done to florida i view florida as this massive massive achievement it's fantastic that civilization has been brought to this desolate place of swamps and mosquitoes and alligators and that human beings can live there and live there well and live there beautifully and live there live a comfortable really successful life and yet the environmentalists you know what are they saying you know the the bottom line is the end of the article says mother nature is boss maybe it's time we pay attention to her and i say no i say mother nature is not boss i say we are the boss we as individuals, we human beings, we are the boss. We shape nature to fit us. Instead of worrying about, you know, where people should live and where they shouldn't live, A, let them pay the right, the real price. B, let's think about technologies that save us. Let's think about technologies that maybe dissipate storms. Let's think about technologies that maybe, you know, move storms away from population centers. Let's think about if, 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 if the oceans are rising, if the environmentalists are right and the globe is warming and the oceans are rising, then what do we, how do we protect ourselves? How do we build seawalls? How do we raise the land? We drive we, we the swamps. We create artificial islands. Suddenly we can find ways to raise the land, raise, you know, just raise it above sea level, higher. So right now, you know, much of, uh, much of Florida is, is kind of below six feet above sea level. So if, if there's a six feet sea surge, Florida is going to be underwater. But let's raise Florida. If we have to, I mean, why is that so ridiculous? Why is that so unimaginable? Let's build buildings that are higher up, taking into account the fact, the idea that, that, that there will be more floods, that they're going to be more hurricanes. It's just going to be more hurricanes because of the odds, the statistics. But why is the answer always stop? I say no, don't stop. We got a problem. Let's solve it. Let's move ahead. Progress, innovation, construction, development. Let people move to where they want to move as long as they bear the cost. But if there's a problem, if things are warming, you know, Buy, you know, let's develop more nuclear power plants so we can afford more air conditioning. Or let's put something in the atmosphere that cools things down. Or let's develop some technology that moves storms away from us. Or so whatever that whatever it is, let's not give up on human life. Let's get, not give up on human progress. Let's not give up on civilization and flourishing and happiness and success as human beings who shape the environment to fit their own needs. I mean, everything we do as humans, everything we do as humans, is about changing the environment to fit our lives. Our homes are built from stone and from materials from our environment. We carve out mountains in order to build our homes. We mine for steel in order to build our homes. Our automobiles, everything. Everything requires us to go into the environment, chop down trees, dig into the mountains, dig into the earth, scoop up the sand, to turn it into silicone, to use for computer chips. Dig up that oil so we can use in our cars, so we can turn it into plastic, so we can power the world. That's how we survive as human beings. That's how we live at every level, at every stage of human existence. We have changed our environment to fit our needs. Otherwise, we die. We go out of existence as a species. So the solution to so-called environmental problems is not to stop. Stopping is death. The solution to so-called environmental problems is more technology, more progress, more growth, more wealth. We want to get richer. We want to produce more energy. So that when I say, let's raise Florida a few more feet above sea level, people say, oh, okay, let's figure out how to do that. But see, my my whole approach, whole approach to, to, to pretty much discussing anything, is what is good for human beings? What is good for human beings being successful at being human beings? What is good for human beings to be happy, to be prosperous, and at the end of the day, politically, what's good for human beings is freedom. Economically, what's good for human beings is freedom. And what what allows us to, to flourish and be successful is to use our minds, is to figure stuff out, is, is to innovate, is to be entrepreneurial. And the entrepreneurs and the businessmen and the innovators and the engineers and the scientists, they're the real heroes of the world in which we live. They make it possible for those skyscrapers in Miami and in Tampa not to fall down in spite of the unbelievable winds, It makes it possible for as much as damage as there is going to be in Florida, for it to be a fraction of the kind of damage there would be if we didn't have technology, if we didn't have innovation, if we didn't have great engineering products, if we didn't have great minds working to build and to create, to make us safe, to shape our environment in ways that is... They're consistent with human flourishing, human happiness, human ability. All right. You're listening to your Brook book show broadcasting, as I've said many times in the show, from Baku, Azerbaijan. Uh, the wonders of technology again. They're just the wonders of innovation. All right. Uh, we're going to be back after this break.
0: This is the Iran Brook Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
2: This edition of Reason for Living is brought to you by our friends at Lyft. In this week's edition, we explore a rational description of racism as described by philosopher Ayn Rand.
3: Racism is the lowest, most crudely primitive form of collectivism. It is the notion of ascribing moral, social, or political significance to a man's genetic lineage. The notion that a man's intellectual and characterological traits are produced and transmitted by his internal body chemistry, which means in practice that a man is to be judged not by his own character and actions, but by the characters and actions of a collective of ancestors. Racism claims that the content of a man's mind, not his cognitive apparatus, but its content, is inherited. That a man's convictions, values, and character are determined before he is born by physical factors beyond his control. This is the caveman's version of the doctrine of innate ideas, or of inherited knowledge, which has been thoroughly refuted by philosophy and science. Racism is a doctrine of, by, and for brutes. It is a barnyard or stock farm version of collectivism, appropriate to a mentality that differentiates between various breeds of animals, but not between animals and men.
2: Reason for Living has been brought to you by our friends at Lyft. With Lyft, not only can you get a ride whenever you need one, you can now earn extra money whenever you need to. If you're retired, you can make your golden years shine brighter by joining Lyft's friendly community today. For a limited time, you can earn a $250 bonus, in addition to whatever cash and tips you make on the road. For details, visit highroadproducers.com drive. That's highroadproducers.com slash drive.
0: Brooke.
1: All right, it's um, it's actually getting close to midnight here. It's about ten minutes to midnight in uh, Baku, Azerbaijan, and I'm getting ready to to go to bed. <laughs> it's been a long day, and I've got a big lecture tomorrow at the uh, at the university at the local university here. Where I'm going to talk about freedom and and uh, economic freedom and economic liberty and and the morality of capitalism, the morality of capitalism. That's uh, that's a message. The whole world needs to hear, and I'm I'm proud and happy to have the opportunity to deliver it to many people around the world, including um, uh, the last few days in in Georgia in uh, Tbilisi, and now in uh, in Baku, Azerbaijan, and then later in the week in uh, Paris and Geneva and Copenhagen and Kiev, and later in the end, lots of other places. All right, um, you know, one great example of that uh, what I talked about of, about development in Florida, I think, was. Linda mentioned it on, uh, in, uh, in, on Twitter here, uh, is Disney. You know, Disney came to Florida and, and saw immense potential in Orlando. But remember what he saw in Orlando. Orlando was swamps. There was nothing there. There was nothing. There was no infrastructure. There was a town, Orlando. You know, wasn't that big. And, uh, you know, he saw that he, he could buy this land for relatively cheap because it was, it was garbage land. It was, it was bad land. It was, it was, it was swamp. Nobody wanted it. And he did. He bought it. He dried it. He filled it up. And he built one of the great entertainment centers of the entire world. The world loves Disneyland. Don't we all love Disneyland? It's about human happiness, human flourishing, human entertainment, human enjoyment. Today, would the environmentalists let him build Disneyland? No, no. You can't dry swamps today. They're not swamps. They're everglades or they're uh, uh, what do you call it? Something water or whatever, right? Wetlands. Wetlands. That's what they are. Wetlands, and they are incredibly environmentally valuable. And it's much more important to preserve the local mosquito than it is to entertain human beings. God forbid we should we should hurt the mosquitoes or whatever else lives in the swamp. And we don't want to entertain those spoiled children. And think about what Disney did. Not only did he build Disneyland, but think about what everything happened around him. Universal was built and all the other entertainment parks. I mean, you go to to, to Disney World, to Orlando now, and there are a million things to do. A whole industry has arisen there to entertain human beings. How beautiful is that? How wondrous is that? That we have the wealth, we have the time, we have the resources, and we have the brilliance, or at least Disney. Had the brilliance to figure out how to entertain us and to create a whole industry to entertain us and to to, to make our lives happy and 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 joyous and and just just more fun. I love people who make my life more fun, and Disney certainly did that. He did that for me. He did that for my kids, and 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 you got to celebrate that. And yet today, environmentalists wouldn't let him break ground. Think of the thousands. Tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of jobs that have been created because of that. The gas stations that are now built around there, the grocery stores, the the the, the, the all kinds of other entertainments that have arisen around Disney World and and the whole infrastructure. Orlando now is a big city. And the, the, the infrastructure all around the world is world class. The highways around Orlando, from Orlando to Tampa. I and mean, that is all Disney. That is all one man. That is all one man's vision. A vision to make human life a little bit more joyful, a little bit more filled with joy. And again, today, we wouldn't let it happen. We'd shut him down. We'd shut him down because of some snail, because of some mosquito, because of some fish, because of wetlands, because of land. I don't think they even care about living things. They just want to preserve Mother Earth in its pristine form. As if that's a good thing. Why is it a good thing? The Earth is here to serve our needs. The, the, nature is here to facilitate human life. We, we as human beings, have the intelligence to change the world to fit our needs. And that's what we must do to survive. So it, 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 Florida Florida in, in every aspect, you know if you you travel around Florida and, and, and you see where it's being developed and how it's been developed and the achievement that is the coast and, and uh, the number of people who live there happily and, and successfully, the, the beauty of, uh, of development. I love development. I love skyscrapers. I, I love cities. And uh, you know, see Orlando, and see Disneyland, and see everything else that is being created in this in this fantastic state. And to see the environmentalists jump all over this uh, this crisis, this 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 hurricane, is just a disaster. As I said before, you know, people should have to pay for the choices that they make. In a sense, that the market should work, and they should have to pay through insurance or or, or through. Self-insurance, which means they pay for whatever destruction there is afterwards and and rely on charity. There's no reason to use force to force people to subsidize them. But other than that, it's, it's none of your business. Somebody wants to dry a swamp, let them dry a swamp. Human life depends on drying swamps. Human progress, human development depends on drying swamps. All right, so as we speak... The hurricane is, as I speak, the hurricane is, uh, is hitting Florida. I wish everybody along the coast of uh, western Florida and anywhere else where the hurricane might uh, cause damage uh, the best of luck and, and uh, hopefully uh, lives will be spared and hopefully the hurricane will slow down and hopefully there won't be as much property damage as is predicted. Hopefully, most people have left, and and uh, and therefore uh, their lives, at least, will will be protected. Uh, so, all the best, to all of you in Florida, as you head back home sometime later this week, probably. And um, you know, here on the on Brook Show, we defend human life, we defend human liberty, human freedom, the human mind, human progress and innovation. Uh, we defend progress and flourishing. And uh, don't let the environmentalists don't let the weather don't let you know don't let it crush your spirit uh human beings are here to live to thrive to succeed and to achieve happiness you've been listening to your own Brook show on the blaze radio network we'll be back next week on sunday same time same place
0: applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio it's the Iran brook show on the blaze radio network